Hello, product innovators. Today, we learn from one of the leading electronic toy inventors on how founders can best develop complex hardware products. You're listening to the Product Startup Podcast, the show that helps bring your product idea to life by chatting with successful inventors, product developers, manufacturers, and hardware industry professionals. Our goal here is to get to the bottom of what makes a product successful, from initial idea to getting your product on store shelves. We're taking you step-by-step to build a functional product and scale your product business. Hosted by Kevin Mako, one of North America's leading experts on hardware development for small product businesses. Now, onto the show. Welcome back, everyone. Today, I'm very excited to introduce Bob Christopher to the show. Bob is the founder of Pleo, a massively successful robot dinosaur kids toy with hundreds of parts. This is one of his many products and product companies over a long and successful history in the product innovation world. He was also the director of innovation at Panasonic and sits on a number of advisory boards at hardware incubators around the world. Today, Bob is going to share some valuable knowledge on how inventors, startups, and small manufacturers can understand what it takes to design and develop complicated mechanical and or electronic consumer products with many development lessons he has learned along the way. Now, on to the episode. Hey, Bob. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Excited to have you on today. You've not only launched a number of products, two major robotics products into the consumer market that many people will know, but you've also been the director of innovation for Panasonic. So you have been in the innovation sphere around hardware for a long time and have a tremendous amount of experience. And today, obviously, we're going to be talking about some of the best practices to developing your product and uh, working with your engineering team. So as a quick background and highlight, how did you get to where you are? I used to be back in the day, I was in orthopedic surgical medical development for new types of products for orthopedic surgeons. And I got really tired of basic working at a big company. I thought, let's develop something that is, that's cool. And I just kind of fast forward, but I, through this complete circumstance, I met my co-founder of my first robot company, Caleb Chung, who is the, uh, he's kind of a famous guy. He was the founder of creator of the Furby. So if anybody knows Furby, it's this little animatronic uh, toy and uh, billions of dollars of Furby has been sold. So it's a pretty big success. Anyway, we connected in a, in his, actually his brother's place. He showed me this video of this like robot moving and walking lifelike. And it was like, you know, it looked like a living creature. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. How did you do this? We, of course, then came together and thought about this and then built the company and the product around this tech that he invented. And so that was kind of really beginning of me getting into robotics. So got involved with Caleb, built this company called Ugobi, which made the Plio robot. And if people don't know Plio, Google search is pretty cool robot. It was a journey. It was a journey into the development of hardware and how do you make this stuff work? For those that don't know Plio, it's a robot dinosaur. It has 1,847 parts, 14 servos, 38 sensors. It's a fully autonomous being, doesn't have any remote control. It has AI built into it, it's learning. It's a robot toy. It's not like it's gonna be um, evolving into something, but it's a really cool, sophisticated robot. We built a really cool product, took a long time to get there. And part of this is I just learned so much about building hardware in this journey. When I built the company, I realized that this is a really, you know, you cannot be not involved in engineering. You have to be involved in the actual development. So I got, I was very much involved with the firmware, electrical engineering, some mechanical design, and uh, learned a lot with my team about, I mean, this is amazing. We were always testing our, our engineering and our design 
around the experience envelope. We're like, what's that envelope we really want to have? And, and Caleb was good. Was, I mean, he was religious about this. He was like, this is the experience that come with Steve Jobs like this. You have to have this experience. Otherwise, everything sucks. And his comment was, it's easy to make things look broken. So you could overpromise your product is do all these things. And then, of course, it's going to look broken. And because it's not going to do it all the time. And so we were very concerned about just not putting too much out there with our product. We want it in terms of promises. Promises are a big thing, especially for a new hardware founder. And you're involved in making very complicated products, which is great to have you to talk about on the show today, because a lot of consumer products, especially these days when you're getting complex mechanisms mixed with electronics, mixed with robotics, mixed with different material science. And as you said, going into all sorts of maybe experimental things like a new set of gears, all of these things add complexities. So the best thing that you can do as a founder, first and foremost, is making sure to condense that into your starter product. So you're not trying to do too many things at once. You can always scale into other things. And we've talked about that quite a bit on the show. So I appreciate that you brought that up. Another thing I found very interesting about what you brought up is mentioning about you working heavily with your engineering and design team. You're the type of founder that you didn't want to just sit it and have them go and run at it and talk to them months later and see where they were at. You wanted to be involved on a regular basis to make sure that the design and engineering that was happening was matching the vision that you had for the product down the road. The vision for your product was a testament to both you and your founder on what was important from a user experience perspective, and then making sure that trickled down to the day-to-day -day design and engineering. Can you highlight a bit more about what you found was working in managing uh, a design and engineering team, especially because we're talking about a complicated product and how that ended up being a very big success based on that work you were doing with the design team in the early days. Yeah, in the early days, it was actually pretty natural, organic. We just, everything kind of flowed. But then as we got the company up bigger, we had to definitely think about the, how to how to build the right layers and people. In it. And so my, my offices were, main offices were in Emeryville, Berkeley, but our R&D facilities were in uh, Boise, Idaho. That was a challenge because we had to go fly back and forth. But I had about 25 guys working for me in Boise. And, you know, I think it comes down, Kevin, to really the right people. I mean, my CTO and my VP of engineering were just amazing, really good. They had this kind of, I mean, I'll say the glass half full. They knew the possibilities that would, we're up against. And also, of course, the, the challenges. What I would say, can my engineering group back in Boise would always think about things in a very curious level. And of course, would want to challenge the development, but is always around the the experience envelope. It is mentioned, so we always wanted to test, acid test everything against this. What is experience? So we had to spend time actually defining what the experience envelope. Like, how's it going to move? How's it going to? What's the? How's the software going to work? That what's that experience we want to have from Plio? And we, we had this what they call an ethos. We had this kind of like, like seven seven criteria that Plio always had to meet. And all the engineering decisions had to kind of follow that criteria. And if it was out of whack, we wouldn't do it. So it worked out really well. It was kind of surprising. Like we, we made a lot of decisions about, hard decisions about hardware with using this guidepost kind of, okay, this isn't gonna really support the experience and the brand and the image we wanna create with the product. We went out on a press tour and I remember us going out and, um, like I think I was talking to Walt Mossberg back in New York, Wall Street Journal. He was a big guy at the time. And he said to us, hey, man, your, your, your robot's got a battery built into it. You can't take it out. He was saying, you know, it's going to be a problem for you guys. And so we agreed. So we had to stop. We actually were going into manufacturing. We had to stop our manufacturing uh, schedule 
and then regroup and then figure out a way to basically create a removable battery. Um, and we did it. We did it within like six weeks. We had redesigned it. And within three months, we had the whole redesign put into China and they were they were building molds on it. So it was we just got it in time, <laughs> literally for the first week in Christmas. It was just in time to ship the first 5,000 units out. I got to my investors, <laughs> they were so worried and everyone was like under pins and needles. Of course, it was like that kind of it was it was make or break time. Right. But we knew what we what we were doing was the right thing to do. So we had all these different design approaches to solving problems around again this kind of experience envelope. And then I guess the kind of that also reflected on our team. So we had this way of looking at things about solving problems again, kind of glass half full. And I wanted people who were challenge. I want people who were challenging. That wanted to challenge the the engineering decision in the good way, right? So let's make this better. Let's make this faster. Let's make this, let's change this part, make it more interesting. That was the kind of the MO, the mode of operation with my engineering team. And it was, so for, as a founder, I was, I was there a lot. I was spent a lot of time with our group in China. In fact, it was always kind of like this weird thing in China where you, you almost had to be an ambassador on behalf of your company with these um, manufacturers and these, and these suppliers, because they'll, they'll test you. They'll see if you have the business discipline or the wherewithal, like, are these, like, they'll look at you and say, is this person going to have a product that's really going to be successful? I mean, they kind of give you that look like, are they going to sell me, are they going to make hundreds of thousands of these things? Or is it like 2000, you know, it's like that. And you had to really kind of prove your metal. There was a, I mean, a lot of really tough engineering decisions though. And I think the thing that I would say about is you're going to have, I mean, you're building any hardware, you have this kind of we call it the renaissance mode. It's like you have to play in different camps. You can't play only in, in, in electrical engineering. You can't only play in mechanical engineering. You got you to be able to dance back and forth. And so if you think of your team as like siloed, like they're only electrical engineers and these guys are mechanical and these guys are software, you're going to have all sorts of translation issues with your development path. It's, there's just going to be all these things that don't, that, that that need the kind of the mix of the two together. And so we learned a lot about, you know, it's just kind of, as an engineer, you just have to have these multiple skills and be willing to test them all the time and then be willing to learn. But anyway, there's lots of little, there's like these little mini sprints we had to go through in, in building that product. Fast forward, I've been involved with other robots. Like I was involved with um, the launch of Jibo. Jibo is a robot for the home. And Cynthia Brazil from MIT Media Lab, who's very famous um, because her work on social robots, she was behind the company. And we we built this amazing robot. The idea was, and we learned this with Clio, was when everything moves, when anything moves or um, robot moves, we have this tendency to be anthropomorphic. We want to you know, we want to see life in it. We think it's alive. Like people like call their vacuum cleaners by name because they, they look at it as a pet. And so with Jibo, we wanted to have the anthropomorphic relationship in a very organic way. So when he moved his head and looked at you with curiosity, you had to have that exact look. Like if somebody said, hey, what's up? It sounds like there's two main themes here that that really helped you design a great product, even though it was complicated. First, you had a very clear vision of what you were looking to do. And that's what you said. You had specifically seven guiding principles that you needed this to do that would guide all of the rest of the decisions 
whether it was industrial design on the visual side, whether it's mechanical engineering, whether it was electronic engineering or software, all of these teams were essentially building that model via that vision of those seven principles. And then second, you have mentioned the test and refine element a few times where you really were putting the effort into not only push your team, but also push your own insight in terms of how could you develop this thing to be relatively simple, not to feature creep or not to overpromise to your eventual customers or to your partners or shareholders or other stakeholders, but really focusing on those seven core principles and then testing and refining it continually until you got a product that you genuinely believed in. So much as you're mentioning that it was right up to the, you're ready to deliver and it's at the factory, but there was something that you knew needed to be done based on feedback that you were listening to that made that happen. So I find that's something that's so important when you're designing a new product is really being focused on what you want to do, keeping it narrow, not feature creeping, and then simultaneously making sure to build and test and refine. How many prototypes do you figure you went through in, in designing this and testing it or pieces? And over what period of time did this take? It took over oh, two years, two years to build it. Um, to, so it's so funny you mentioned those two. Kev, thanks for thanks for the question on that, because it reminded me what we would always tell ourselves is we'd like, okay, we're building and breaking. Build it and break it. Build it and then find out how it breaks. What's the problem? And it, it was That's like great. build and break, build and break. And then we had, of course, you know, milestones we had to hit. And the biggest milestone that we had to hit was that Plio had to walk. You know, is this is going from a prototype to an actual commercial version? That's a big, big leap, right? Now you're talking about, you know, your own servos, your own not off-the-shelf servos and things like this. But we, yeah, those seven principles were so important. In fact, they um they guided almost everything from packaging. I mean, literally our packaging was designed by that too. And um, we, you know. We had some help. Maybe one of the, I had some people who came in and worked with us from uh, Lucas Films and um, and then Blizzard. You know, there's some interesting cultures that were kind of infused in our culture, and they're like, you know, game guys, and they're like talking about like, how do you think about a a character from a game perspective, and then how do you build a relationship with it? Anyways, just all this kind of interesting perspectives from. Uh, from building it, but it always came down to seven principles. And then I think people don't realize this. You, you're always, always, always building and breaking. I mean, you might have a release and say, this is my public release. This is my product. Great. But it's not done yet. You got to always continually improve that design and optimize it or go to the next design, but you always have to be building it and challenging it. And I think that's what a lot of I feel like a lot of robot companies just don't do that. They just kind of, they build it and they set it and then they kind of just, they optimize it or modify it a little bit. Like that ingenuity part of it kind of gets gets sidelined. And I feel there's a lot of missed opportunities with, with um, hardware design when you just kind of sit back and think, oh, it's done, you know? And I, it's never done. Well, something that you mentioned, to the, which was part of the guiding principles, you know, you've got your seven principles, but then on top of that, it seems like you were listening to various stakeholders a lot to then come back to build and break and improve your next version. Listening is a huge piece of the development process, both to your internal team, but also to external stakeholders as you did throughout that process. You mentioned you're bringing in film companies and game crews. That's amazing. Before you've even launched to market, you're bringing in this incredible insight uh, especially probably further on in the development process. So you've got your core technology built. Now you're improving and refining it. So you've got enough meat on the bones to make 
people excited about your product, external stakeholders, right. whether it was a manufacturer that you cut a deal with, or whether these big companies like Blizzard and Lucasfilms, those people you were listening to and here collecting their feedback, applying it to your seven principles, you know, aligning it with those principles, and then making your product better as a result. Exactly. That's exactly right. It was, it was, it's having the appetite to go there. I mean, it takes some, it takes some guts. It takes courage to kind of, because you're going to be put yourself out there and taking on risk, right? You don't know what you don't know, but that's okay. And that's part of the, that's part of the fun. I mean, if you're, if you're building hardware, make it fun, you, you know, that's going to be infused in your product. And if it's laborious and, and, you know, you got to, I would say, step back and rethink about what you're doing because, you know, create your own principles, create your own three, four, five, seven, whatever principles you think that, and then we like, we're saying, for example, Plio, I think we had three life form. We had laws of life form. So we call it Plio a life form, not a robot. So three laws of life forms. It must evolve over time. It must be autonomous and it must be aware of its environment. So it has to know that it's at the edge of the table or, you know, because it can't be contextually unaware. That was, that would break the illusion of Plio. And then it has to evolve. Like Plio's, all Plio's were, were built so that their personalities would evolve over time based upon the interactions you had with the robot. So some of the robots were kind of, um, say, shy and, and not so interactive because their, their, their owners didn't really interact with them too much. They were kind of, you know, lonely. Other ones are very social. Other ones are kind of mischievous and, and kind of um, causing problems because they would do things. They would knock things off tables. You know, I mean, they would, they, Cleo can be a little mischievous. What's fun <laughs> about it, you know, we were inspired by Apple's early on when, when Steve launched the, the Mac, they created these user groups around the country about Mac, people using the Mac and coming together and sharing notes and stuff. And uh, we did the same thing with Plio. We did Plio groups around the country. So people got the robots together and they have these experiences, but that was part of, it was like magic, you know, things you didn't expect. And that's what Caleb would say is like, you always have to create these Easter eggs that people don't expect with your robot or your product. Cause that's, that's the part that delights people. Like they discovered something with your product that they wasn't, it wasn't published. It's not on the box, but something you discovered. And, and that's what the Furby effect kind of was. People didn't know what Furby was going to do until they had a Furby. Right. So kind of same thing with Plio, like didn't know Plio was going to do until it actually became alive and was on your desktop. But again, that's part of the seven laws that we were, we were working against. I know you have a hard stop coming up and I, Absolutely love the way that you you know concluded all of this with the journey is part of the fun. And that's really you know all the things that we talked about today as you are a hardware development firm going through your own journey right now. Just remember that, yeah, these there are trials and tribulations. There are things you are purposely breaking stuff. You're going to run into delays and roadblocks and other complications. You're going to have a variety of stakeholders. You're going to have conflicts. All of that's part of the journey of making a magical product at the end of the day. So, Absolutely. Bob, I really appreciate all your words of wisdom today. Thanks again for joining us on the show. Thanks, Kevin. It was really great to talk to you. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Product Startup Podcast. 
the show that teaches you what it really takes to bring your product to market and turn it into a big success. This podcast series is brought to you by Maco Design and Invent, the original and leading firm in North America to provide global caliber end-to-end physical consumer product development to startups, inventors, and small product business clients. If you're looking for product development help on your invention, head over to macodesign.com. That's M-A-K-O design.com for a free consultation from one of Maco Design's four design studios from coast to coast. Thanks for listening and see you next time.